record. We're going to be in verse 14 to begin with, and then we'll be looking at most of the entire chapter tonight, uh, verse by verse. Verse 14, the Bible says, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Look here. But God delivered him not into his hand. God delivered him not into his hand. It was God that kept uh, David safe as Saul hunted him as a wild animal. Sometimes we don't understand why God lets hardships into our life. Here David is living in a wilderness. In fact, those that have been to this wilderness of Ziph down by the Dead Sea and have looked at it uh, just are appalled that anyone could ever lived there. And David lived there in caves and uh, in uh, any place he could find for years. And God was using this to refine him. God was using this to make his faith strong. And that brings us to the title of the sermon this morning, When Faith Becomes Sight. When Faith Becomes Sight. We're going to unpack exactly what that means by way of introduction. We're going to look at some verses in the New Testament, see some examples, and then we're going to see how that played out in David's life right here in 1 Samuel 23. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for gathering us here. We pray that the Word of God would pierce through to our hearts. Lord, many who have gathered here tonight have a tender heart toward you. Their heart is, is uh, malleable and pliable and ready to, uh, to, to make any change necessary uh, where you would lead others coming here with a heart that's hardened. Uh, Lord, maybe it's just from the habit of being in church week in and week out and Uh, getting complacent in the Christian life. Maybe there's an abundance of sin that's there under the surface. Lord, many reasons uh, could bring that about. But Lord, for each of us tonight, we know that your word is quick and sharp and powerful, more so than any two-edged sword. And we pray tonight it would cut aside, cut away those things in our life and heart uh, that would keep us from growing. Help us, Lord, not to plateau, but to press on and to grow and be more like you. Be with the service tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When faith becomes sight. Uh, Hebrews reminds us in chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please our God. Life teaches us to walk by sight, but God's Word uh, uh, commands us to walk by faith. Uh, To someone who has never walked by faith, the concept of walking by faith sounds hyper-spiritual. It sounds simply theoretical. How do you walk by faith? If you've never done it, it just sounds like jargon. It sounds like spiritual uh, talk, preacher talk. But to a man or woman of God who has learned, who's learned to lean on God's wisdom and learned to lean on God's perspective to carry them through the hardships of life, the challenges of life, they've learned uh, to lean on God to help them through uh, both the hard times and the easy times, uh, the, the days that are irregular and the days that are regular. To a man or woman of God who, lean, who has learned to walk by faith, they know exactly what I mean when I say walking by faith and not by sight. Now, Jesus said, and by the way, being religious doesn't cut it. Doesn't cut it. A lot of people who are religious, uh, but they still walk by sight. By sight. Uh, case in point, see the Pharisees in the New Testament. Jesus called them blind guides, blind guides. He said, you're blind guides that are leading the blind into the ditch. Why? Because they were not walking by faith. They were walking by their religious sight. They were following their religious laws and their religious ceremonies. And here they are walking by sight, and they're the blind leading the blind right into the ditch. Why? Because instead of leaning on God by faith, um, uh, they were leaning on their own shallow, uh, short-sighted understanding. And listen, when we're leaning on our own shallow, short-sighted understanding, we're going to make a mess of things over and over and over again. The question is, does God, uh, does sight become faith, or should we believe that our faith is to become sight? Um, Some people say, if I see it, I'll believe it. Well, that is sight hoping to become faith instead of following God's word where faith All to become sight. Take your Bibles over to Luke chapter number 18. Obviously, we're doing a Bible study out of 1 Samuel 23. Put a marker there. Luke chapter number 18. Consider the blind man in Luke 18 
who found himself in the path of Jesus. He called out by faith in his blindness for the Lord to give him sight. Understand that before he could call out to God, he had to admit and accept the fact that he was blind. Let me say that again. Before he would call out to God, he had to accept and verbally admit out loud that he was blind. You say, well, pastor, that was not hard for him to do. The man was blind. He was physically blind. You know, so many of us are spiritually blind, but we are, we are in self-denial to how spiritually blind we really are. We think that we've got it all figured out. And understand that until you come to a point in your life where you quit leaning on your own understanding and you accept the fact that you're spiritually blind, you're never going to learn to call out to God by faith. So what happened next is that um, he, he humbled himself. He called out uh, to, to Jesus. And Jesus told this blind man that if he had faith, that he would be able to see. Notice the order, faith, then sight. Look at Luke 18, look at verse 40. The Bible says, And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Look here, he, he meets the prerequisite, thy faith hath saved thee. Faith brought sight. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. This man's faith brought about sight. Many people fail to understand just how spiritually blind they truly are. And I think the reason for this is they have physical sight. They can see. Uh, they have earthly discernment. They can handle situations and walk through a logical pattern and come to a logical conclusion and they'll see some limited level of success. And because of that, they think that uh, they have the ability uh, to handle it all. Um, have you ever seen one of these videos that is an optical illusion, full of optical illusions? And uh, you, you look at it and your eyes are telling you one thing, and then lo and behold, what your eyes are telling you are wrong. How many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? You've seen videos like that? You know, sometimes what your eyes tell you and, and, and what, your, uh, what your senses tell you about what you're gathering and seeing and understanding, it just falls short. Some years ago, I had a, a, a staff person come and sit in my office, and they were unhappy with a decision that I had made. They were being respectful and careful how they addressed me and, and the situation. And, and they were saying to me, well, Pastor, I just don't know that you handled that situation uh, correctly and and I said well what where do you think I went wrong and they're laying out for me where I thought I went wrong and the whole time this person's talking probably three to five minutes I'm thinking to myself I'm, I'm kind of smirking on the inside and I'm thinking yeah that person just doesn't know all the facts just doesn't know all that I know they don't have the perspective on the situation that I have because they don't sit in the seat that I sit in and they don't have that information and when that person stopped talking, I began to share just enough information to help. Oh, oh, I see now why you made the decision you made. Now it all makes sense. You understand God knows everything. He sits above. He has a perspective that we can't have. Uh, it's like the man who's climbing up the mountain telling the man at the top of the mountain what he sees. And how silly is that? And oftentimes we want to tell God how it is uh, that we're going to live. And when I see it, I'll believe it. And God says, well, I already see it. If you'd have faith in me, you could believe what I see instead of believing what you can't see. So we find our way to Thomas. Now Thomas had it the other way around. Turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 in your Bibles. Um, Thomas was the type of man who needed to see it to believe it. See it to believe it. Thomas was spiritually blind but was in denial. 
He was spiritually blind, but in denial. Yet Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. And they told Thomas, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Several women had testified of this. And the other uh, disciples, his peers, were testifying by this. Uh, and what did Thomas say? He said, it, it is not possible until I am able to put my hands in the prince, my fingers in the prince, and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And Thomas wanted his sight to lead him to faith instead of faith becoming sight. Look at John chapter 20 and look at verse 27. The Bible says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Look here, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. See the order here? Sight led to faith instead of faith leading to sight. Jesus finishes by saying this, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Have not seen and yet have believed. You see what's going on? Jesus says, Thomas, you have it backwards. You're expecting your sight to lead to faith. Blessed are those that have faith. That leads to sight. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. And all of this is setting the table for our, uh, our, our sermon out of 1 Samuel uh, chapter number 23. We'll be right back there in just a moment. Look at Romans chapter 5. One more passage I believe to be valuable and important uh, as we set the stage here. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. If you're a young Christian, can I encourage you to underline that phrase in your Bible? We glory in tribulations also. When I was a young Christian, young adult Christian, I did not glory in tribulations. I didn't do that. Um, three weeks after my son was born, my car broke down, gave up the ghost, and I had no wheels. I lost my job, and I lost um, uh, I, I, my, my lease of my apartment was running up all at the same time. God was putting me through tribulation. I was not glorying in that tribulation. You know what? Now, when God sends tribulation my way, I wish I could say I jump up and down for joy. All right? I'm not quite there yet, but I do somewhat step back and say, all right, God. You've come through enough for me in my life and other tribulations, and you've grown me through these times. Here comes another growth spurt in my life. Glory in tribulations. What happens when tribulation hits us? Look back at verse number 2. But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience Hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. I love this passage. I love, love, love this passage because this passage lays out for us the maturation of a Christian. It shows us how we grow in Christ. Notice the steps to maturing in Christ. Tribulation brings about patience. You've heard about the guy who came forward and said, uh, Pastor, I want you to pray for me at the altar. Okay, what are we praying for? Well, uh, can you pray that God would give me patience? And the pastor gets down next to the man, puts his arm around him, says, Lord, I pray to help this man's car to break down this week, and I pray to help his uh, dishwasher to break and run water all over his floor. They said, what are you doing? He said, well, you asked for patience, didn't you? This is how you get patience. Tribulation worketh patience. And you know, uh, some of you say, I'm just not a patient person. I'm not a patient person. And I think all of us can identify on some level with not being patient, right? Uh, we, we live in a society where we get, we're used to getting things right when we want it. And, and that's the day and age we live in. And we all need to grow in this area of patience. Tribulation brings about patience. What does patience bring about? It brings about experience. Experience brings hope uh, in God for further deliverance. Now, I see a young Christian who hits a hardship, and I see that their whole world is falling apart. I see a young Christian who hits a hardship, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again. 
Again, I express that this happened with me as well. But uh, some folks take this to an extreme. They hit a hardship in, the, in, in their growth in the Lord. And, and sure enough, about that time you commit to be faithful to church. And about that time you commit to start giving financially uh, in the offering plate. About that time you decide you're going to show up on a Saturday morning, be involved in Great Commission Saturday, and help on a bus route or, or usher or step up and help in the nursery. You're going to get involved at church. You're going to serve the Lord about that time. Whammo, right? On time, tribulation comes in your life. And you think, what's going on here? And God, and God says, I'm working in you patience. And I'm working in you through that patience experience. And that experience brings hope. Being someone who's been saved for 34 years, I look back at 34 years of my life, and I can see instant after instant after instant where tribulation has taught me much, and God has grown me. And you know what now? I look back and I have a whole litany of experiences where God has done a work in my life. My faith became sight. My faith became sight. And I would just say that if you're in the middle of a tr- tr- uh, tribulation, a problem, you're in the middle of a hardship, don't lose faith in God. This is the time for your faith to grow. Can I have someone tonight say amen? Amen. amen. You all with me tonight? Y'all eat too much for Mother's Day lunch, and you're all like nostalgic and, and you know, uh, in a semi-food coma. Amen? All right, so we, we, uh, we want to be involved in the message tonight. Hang in there with me. Encourage me so I can encourage you. It's okay if you nod your head every now and then. And, and listen, well, this is a Baptist church, not a Catholic church. You can say amen occasionally, all right? I know that this is a northern Baptist church, but it's still okay to say amen. All right. And, amen. And so um, uh, let's go back to uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Um, hope in God helps us know that the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Back in 1 Samuel, God is trying to teach David these lessons. These lessons about faith. We've seen how David has walked by sight instead of faith in chapters 21 and 22. Now David's going to begin to learn to cut out the manipulating and the triangulating to work the desired outcome that he so wants. As we saw last week with situational ethics, David is going to begin in this chapter to walk by faith instead of sight and trust God to get him uh, where he needs to be and to be his protector. I believe that many Christians do not lean on God to get them through life. That's what I believe. I believe that many Christians lean on their own understanding to get them through life. And I believe they're spiritually short-sighted. They're operating by life's experiences and what common sense tells them to do instead of leaning on God through prayer to lead them and guide them through. When we hit a hardship, is the first thing we do to bend a knee and Take it to God in prayer, or is it to just try to figure it out? We're going to figure this out. We buy cars and houses and never one time pray about it. We switch jobs and never inquire of the Lord what His will is. Some folks even pick up and switch churches or move clear across the country and never one time ask God what He would have them to do. We run to doctors over emotional distress without considering what the great physician is trying to teach us. Are you expecting your sight to carry you to faith? Or are you expecting your faith in God to become sight? Let's look at six actions out of 1 Samuel 20, or 23, 1 Samuel 23, six actions we see in this uh, chapter six actions and see how David's faith became sight. All right, get those outlines out. Get your pen ready. Let's take some notes. Let's see what God has for us tonight. Listen, uh, I am here to appeal to your head, and I want the Spirit of God to work with your heart. My job is to convey truth. The Spirit's job is to convict you of truth. I'm to charge you with the word. The Spirit of God is to change you by the word. And so tonight, uh, I can preach at your head, but you need to make sure your heart is tender to the Lord. Let's see what God has for us tonight. Number one, notice David inquired. David 
inquired. Look back at 1 Samuel 23 and look at verse number 1. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. The Bible says, Then they told David, saying, Behold the Philistines sight a fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. Now, back in 21 and 22, David does not pray one time in either of those chapters. Not one time does David stop to consider what God would have him do. He acts by instinct. He acts by his own logic. He's walking by his own understanding. And he makes a total mess out of things, both for himself and then he puts people in harm's way. Psalm 34, as I mentioned last week, Psalm 34 was written right after these experiences. Right after these experiences. And here's what David says in Psalm 34, 17. He writes, The righteous cry in the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Now let me just say tonight, if you've been walking by sight and not by faith, and you've made a mess of things, God still loves you. He still loves you. And He wants you to get back on track. In fact, God sent uh, Gad, the prophet, to David to help get David back on track. And to David's credit, when the preacher came to his life and said, Hey man, you're not, you're in the wrong place and you're not listening to God and he can't even tell you where to go. Uh, David was wised up and said, I'm going to listen to God's man. And he went to exactly where uh, God's man directed him and, and got back on track. And now David, we find him in 23. He's no longer walking by sight. He's walking by faith. He has been righteous enough to see that error of his ways and call out to the Lord. Now, um, uh, this passage in 23, uh, uh, 1 through 4, is fascinating because David has an army of 600 men. Uh, mer- these are mercenaries of sorts. It's like his own hired army, except they're volunteering to fight alongside of him. And these men agreed to be David's protections. Uh, listen, he had this thing fleshed out. On top of having an inner circle of soldiers and, and soldiers that would fight, he had spies. He had spies and some of these spies were uh, stationed near the border town of Keilah. Keilah was right there on the border of Judah, right near the edge of uh, Philistia. And so what would happen is in the time of war, Philistia would run out of food and they would go into Keilah and they would steal the wheat off of their threshing floor. They're robbing uh, their food banks, if you will, and leaving them with nothing to eat. They're coming in, they're ransacking it, they're taking it, and word gets back to David's men that this is happening. And David's heart bleeds for his own country's men. Now, his knee-jerk reaction, listen, this is the guy that went and killed 200 Philistines and brought back the evidence in order to marry the king's daughter and did it by himself. He is capable of going on taking on the Philistine army. David is a man's man. He is a man's man. Some of you know your Bible a little too well. I mean, uh, uh, listen, uh, and so what happened here is David, his knee-jerk response must have been, let's go take on the Philistines. But he pumps the brakes and he inquires of the Lord. He pumps the brakes and he prays. He pumps the brakes and says, God, would you have me go out and take on the Philistines? And sure enough, the Lord says, yes, go, I will deliver them into his hands. And then he goes to his army and he says, all right, get your things together, pack up your tents, we're headed to Keilah. What are you headed to Keilah for, David? We're headed to Keilah because we're going to wipe out the Philistines. And they're like, David, hold up, David. We already have the king of Israel trying to kill us. And now you're going to go get a, you're going to go stir up another hornet's nest with Philistia. And now we're going to be getting it from two directions. And listen, tactically, this did not make any sense. Didn't make any sense. You know, oftentimes God's will does not make sense. Because God's ways are not our ways, as we saw this morning. And so David goes back and he prays about it again. You know what? If you pray and God gives you an answer and He says yes, and you go back and pray again to confirm that yes, there's nothing wrong with that. 
I, I, God would rather you overpray it than underpray it or not pray at all. And God says to David, yep, yes, that's exactly what I want. I will deliver them into your hands. And so they go, uh, they get, he gets the men together after two yeses and they go to fight the war. We're going to come back to this thought about David inquiring in just a moment, but let's look at action number two for just a moment and see how God rewarded David for walking by faith instead of sight. Number two, notice the Lord equipped. The Lord equipped. Look with me at 1 Samuel 23 and look at verse number five. Verse five, the Bible says, so David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. Look here. And brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. So David walks by faith and almost immediately his faith becomes sight. Now, here's what I want to tell you, all right? As a parent, and I think God works a lot like this, all right? Now, maybe I am superimposing my parental style on God, and if I'm doing that incorrectly, the Lord forgive me. But here's how I believe that God works. Uh, If I'm trying to get my children to develop a positive habit in their life, and I'm trying to develop in them character, and I see even the slightest effort on their own to do it, I'm right there to reward it. I'm right there to reward it and say, yes, that is good. Keep it up. And I think that when God sees you get on your knees and you start praying and experimenting with being serious with prayer, I think God swoops right down and says, I'm going to show him, I'm going to show her that if they'll get serious about prayer, there are some serious rewards coming that way. God's looking for you to walk by faith. When you do it, God is quick to turn that faith into sight. He did that for David here in this passage, did he not? They go up, they fight the war, they win. And look back at verse, let's see here, verse number 5. It says in the middle of the verse that they brought away their cattle. You know what cattle equaled back then? It equaled money. Equaled money. They could sell that cattle for money. They destroyed the enemies of of Keilah. Uh, They're pressing on Keilah. And now the Philistines have been, uh, at least that battalion of soldiers have been destroyed. And they get to take the goods. They get to take the spoils in order to have the funds they needed to provide for their financial needs. Uh, Look there. It says that they smote them with a great slaughter. God gave them victory over Israel's enemy. And then it says in verse number 6, at the end of the verse, that uh, uh, Abiathar came down with an ephod in his hand. Now, I did some studying on the ephod. I'm not going to, for sake of the sermon, I'm not going to get deep into what the ephod was or what it did. But all I'll say is that it was a priestly instrument in the Old Testament dispensation that was used to get hold of God. And we'll see David use it a couple of times over the next handful of chapters, this one included. And God not only provided uh, for their spoils, for their finances, He not only provided for their peace against their enemy, God provided for spiritual discernment. Now, watch this. He's got Gad, who is a prophet. David is a future king. And now Abiathar is a priest. Now, in David's company, he's got a prophet, he's got a future king, and he's got a priest. And that's exactly what God is for us, is he not? A prophet, a priest, and a king. And now all three have been provided to David. Why? Because now he's walking by faith. Instead of walking by sight, David inquired. David inquired, the Lord equipped. David inquired. David prayed, the Lord provided. David inquired, the Lord equipped. David prayed, the Lord provided. When we walk by sight, we do not pray because we think we do not need God. When we walk by faith, we pray over everything because we know that without Him, we're wandering around in spiritual blindness. Back to point number one, action number one. Let's see how David further inquired of God. Look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. 1 Samuel 23. The Bible says, Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, David's praying again, Thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Well, will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. David had delivered Keilah from the Philistines. What would be man's reasoning? Surely I'm safe here, right? 
Saul's going to march right up to the edge of Keilah looking for David. And, and listen, David just rescued the residents of Keilah from the Philistines. They just provided them liberty, liberation. Now, man's reasoning would be, surely, since I just saved them from bondage, surely there's going to be a little bit of loyalty here, and they're going to protect me. But David did not lean on his own understanding. David instead prayed. He inquired of the Lord. He said, will these men give me up to Saul? And the Lord said, yes, they will give you up to Saul. They will not be loyal to you. And David got the word back from the Lord in enough time to pack up his 600 men and get out of town right before Saul got there. Again, David is inquiring. The Lord is uh, equipping. The Lord is equipping. David is praying. The Lord is Providing. Look at verse number 12. 1 Samuel 23 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. There came the answer from the Lord. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbade to go forth. So word gets to Saul that he's left and so now Saul can no longer trap him. Verse 14, And David abode in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. I don't want you to miss this this evening. For the way of a Christian, it does not mean you're not going to have some hardships. It doesn't mean there isn't going to be some struggles. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be tears shed. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a loss of a job or a loss of finances or there isn't going to be medical struggle. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said that the rain falleth on the just and on the unjust. And Troubles come to both the good, the righteous, and the unrighteous. You say, well, then what's the purpose of being righteous? You see, if you're a child of God, you have a shepherd to comfort you when the rain of life is pounding down on you. And when you're not a child of God, you're like a sheep wandering in the wilderness aimlessly with no one to help you and guide you and direct you. David is, David is living in the wilderness. He's eating whatever they can catch Right, whether it's out of a stream or running down the trail. Uh, David has 600 men who are dependent on him. To, 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 he's, they're looking to him to provide direction. David is doing his very best just to stay alive. And David is not doing this on his own. He's calling on the name of the Lord. He's learned that walking by sight brings nothing but disaster. But now walking by faith, verse 14 says, God delivered him not. Into his hand. It doesn't mean there wasn't some hardships, but it does mean that God was protecting David all along the way. David inquired, the Lord equipped. Notice point number three Saul encroached. Saul encroached. That word encroach means to press in on, to invade one's privacy, to press in too close. And that's exactly what we see Saul doing. He's seeking to take David out. Look at verse number seven. Go back to verse seven. The Bible says, And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. We read a few minutes ago that God delivered David away from Saul in Keilah. Please understand that whether you walk by faith or by human reasoning or sight, Satan is always coming after you. It's always coming after you. When we walk by sight and Satan comes after us, we lose every time. We can't outsmart Satan. You think, well, I, 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 uh, I won't fall to lust because um, I'm, I've got enough self-discipline and character. I won't cheat on my spouse because I have enough self-discipline and character. I'm going to read my Bible and pray every day because I have enough self-discipline and character. And I'm not talking about real praying. I'm talking about formalistic, just say I did it praying. Uh, I, you say, I, I, I can be a good moral person because I have self-discipline and character. You understand, Satan has been around at this a whole lot longer than me and you. 
And he's taken out people who are far more advanced in any Christian life and Christian walk or, or walk with God than any of us in this room could ever even imagine having, have, having. If Satan can take down giants of the faith, listen, we're no match for Satan. What am I getting at? Whether you walk by faith or sight, Satan is coming after you, just like Saul was coming after David. David is walking by faith, and and Saul is right on his heels trying to get him. And you have an enemy in Satan who's constantly looking to hurt you. You say, well, uh, my marriage is foolproof. It'll never fall. You be careful. You're exactly, you're asking Satan to come after you and sow seeds of lust in your marriage and bring that up. Make that fall apart. We ought to fall on our knees every day and say, God, protect my relationships. Protect my heart. Help me to lean on you. Lead me, guide me. Satan is constantly in hot pursuit. Ephesians 6 says he fires his wiles, his fiery darts at us, seeking to take us down because we're in a spiritual war. And Saul is encroaching in on David. He's coming after David. He's trying to kill David. And and sin and Satan and the forces of hell are constantly coming after you, Christian. If you're not walking by faith, and you're walking by sight, then my friend, you are easy game for the devil. You're easy game. He'll take you down and he'll take you out. We must strap on our spiritual armor. We must walk by faith and we must ask God to protect us from that old dragon, that old lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. We see action one, David inquired. Action two, the Lord equipped Action three, Saul encroached. Let's look at the fourth action here in the passage. Notice that Jonathan encouraged. Jonathan encouraged. Look with me at 1 Samuel 23. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Let's read down through verse 18. The Bible says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And they, he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And Thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Verse 16 tells us that David's time of great despair, in his time of great despair, that his friend Jonathan, look, look what it says back in verse 16. It says that he arose and went. He arose and went. Many people who call themselves friends are there when it's time to have fun. But when the hardships come, few arise and go. Arise and go. True friends are there when things are at their worst. I can't imagine how discouraged David was in that valley. You listen to me tonight. Satan's never going to come running to your aid when you're in times of trouble. Your favorite music star is probably not going to come running to your aid when you're in trouble. You spend tens of, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of dollars on entertainment packages, whether it's the movies or Netflix, Disney Plus, whatever it is you buy. The people that you watch on there, when you're having a tough time, they're never going to come running to your side. Your friends at the bar are not going to be there for you when things get real tough. I'll tell you who will be there. The Lord Jesus Christ will be there. And the people that love you through the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll be there. They'll be there. Jonathan knew his friend David was in great despair, living in a cave in the wilderness. How many of you here have ever been inside a cave? Raise your hand if you've ever been inside a cave. I've done... Uh, some spelunking in my time. There's no place to live. There's nothing comfortable about caves. I've seen bats inside caves. Don't tell my wife. I may, may or may not have touched one. Amen. I've seen bats inside of caves, and they're they're darker than dark. David's living in that atmosphere. He's constantly on the move, having to change his tactical position. Listen, our, our special forces are trained to live in, in those type of conditions, but only could do so for, for so long until mentally you're on the verge of breaking. And here David is 
living in the wilderness for an extended period of time and Jonathan, who was his best friend, put his own life at risk to go and encourage himself, go and encourage David in the Lord. I like verse number 16 because it says there, it says that he strengthened his hand in God. You find friends that will come along your side when things get tough and strengthen your faith in God, not weaken it. Because there's a whole bunch of people out there who want to weaken your faith in God. There's a whole bunch of people out there that want to deny God's existence and the power of God and His Word. You find people who will come along in your time of despair and strengthen your hand in God. You make sure you're that kind of friend for someone else. That when they're going through a hardship, you're right by their side. I'm not here to put anyone up on a pedestal, but I remember when I was dating Angela, I asked her, I said, what was it like in Peru uh, the night of September 11th, 2001? And she said, well, it was all over the news, she said, but I really wasn't much paying attention to the news because one of my best friend's father had just suddenly died that same day. And I spent the whole night holding her while she cried in my arms. I spent the whole night encouraging her and, 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 and praying with her. And you know what? She was there for her friend in a hardship. Jonathan is discouraged and David is encouraging his friend in the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says, And they too made a covenant before the Lord. They made a covenant before the Lord. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I, I think of our missionaries spread all over the globe. We saw an update from the Lehman's Wednesday night in Thailand. And they are moved to a new city and they're all by themselves starting a church. Their kids are grown and out of the house and they're all by themselves. I think of the Howards up in the Toronto, Canada area and, and trying to fight a very uh, liberal government that's anti-church in a lot of ways, trying to uh, establish a church. And it's just the, the five of them, the, the three uh, girls and mom and dad. I, I think of the Osgoods in Ghana, West Africa, who are trying to love God and serve God. And, and poor Lindsay uh, goes through all kinds of hardships. I think of my own sister, and I've not made this public yet. This will be the first time making this public. Many of you know Josh and Francis Deku, missionaries in um, uh, Fiji, the Fiji Islands. We got a message this week that Josh and Francis had gone to the doctor for my sister's pregnancy and they could not find a heartbeat. And they went back the next day and could not find a heartbeat. And Francis is 22 weeks along, I believe. And they went for an ultrasound or, or, or yet a greater check. And lo and behold, the baby had passed away. And uh, come just a couple of days from now, my sister's going to have to deliver a stillborn baby. I spent some time on the phone and FaceTime with her last night. I wept with her. I prayed with her. I think about our missionaries who at times spiritually feel like they're living out of a cave. They're in a whole other culture. They're in a whole other world. They're away from mom and dad. Sometimes we're so busy in our own day-to-day lives that we don't pick up our phone and reach out to a missionary. You know, through apps like WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and um, uh, IP-type uh, calling, there isn't a missionary hardly anywhere on the globe that our church supports that you couldn't text, email, get hold of. Those communications go a long ways toward strengthening their hand in God. Pray for my sister and her husband, if you will. They're on the other side of the international date line, so... Uh, Monday evening would be their Tuesday morning. They'll be going in for that. So tomorrow afternoon, evening, if you could, keep my sister and her husband in your prayers. We see David inquired, the Lord equipped, Saul encroached, Jonathan encouraged. Number five, notice David escaped. David escaped. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter. This is where faith really does become sight. And I think David leaned on this experience for many, many years to come. There are times in life when we walk by faith, follow God's direction, and we still feel trapped. We still feel trapped. This is exactly what happened to David. Look down at verse 19. We're going to 
carefully read down through 28. We're going to stop every few verses and, and I'll share some thoughts. Uh, but look at 19. The Bible says, Then came up the Ziphites. So David's hiding out in the wilderness of Ziph. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood, in the hill of Hakala, which is uh, on the south of uh, Jeshimah? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Now, why were the Ziphites so quick to give up David? I'm going to give you my theory. All right? This is Lejeune theology. All right? You all listening up tonight? Now, this is just a theory. I'll leave it at a theory. Do you think maybe the Ziphites knew what had happened to Ahimelech and the other priests and their wives and children? How that Doeg, just the last chapter, had killed all of them? By the way, Saul did not tell Doeg to go wipe out the wives and children. He went and did that on his own. He's trying to earn points with the king. Do you think maybe the Ziphites were afraid that the same thing might happen to them? If they were harboring a fugitive of the law? Now, I don't know that. That's my theory. But I think that very well could have been what's going on here. And so David's hiding out in their territory. And they go and tell Saul. They say, hey, David's in our backyard. We, we can lead you right to him. Thankfully, David is in contact with God, and he's praying, and he's not walking by sight. He's walking by faith. Look at verse number 21. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord. How backwards is Saul's thinking? He's trying to murder a man who's done nothing to him. And he says, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Oh, poor Saul, do these people have pity on you and your hatred? Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who hath seen him there. For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he, David, hideth himself. And come ye yet again to me with this certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out uh, throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. Now we know from looking at a map, this is just a couple of miles from Ziph, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon, Saul also and his men went to seek him, and they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. So King Saul sends out his men, his own spies, to get a good idea of where David could be hiding. He then creates an ambush and begins to surround David. He's followed him out of the wilderness of Ziph. He's followed him into the wilderness of Maon. He's got David trapped behind a mountain. He has set up an ambush. They're surrounding the mountain. They're coming around. There are far more of them than there are of David. And he has David trapped. Tactically speaking, he's got David right where he wants him. He's going to be able to take out his enemy. But we know that God's not going to let that happen. Look at verse 26. Saul went on this, this side of the mountain, and David and his men on the, that side of the mountain. You know what I think of when I read that? I think of playing like uh, tag when you're a little kid, and you've got a table in between you, and you're kind of running around the table where you can't get caught. And, and they're, they're sort of you know, doing this around the mountain, and, and, and he's walking around looking for him, and David's just sort of sneaking around the other side. He's right hot on his tail. He's just about got him. I don't know that Saul knows he's just about got him. David's sort of sneaking out of sight, and Saul's right there about to get him. Look at 26, and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David. David and his men round about to take them. David is totally surrounded. Saul's soldiers are pressing in from both sides of the mountain. David has done everything right in this chapter. He has prayed. He has walked with God. He's gone to Keilath and de uh, delivered uh, his countrymen. He's come back and he's hidden out right where God has told him to hide out. He has dotted every I. He's crossed every T. He's doing everything he can do, yet the walls are still closing in around him. 
David prayed. He trusted. David had diligently done all that he could do to keep his men and his, uh, himself safe. Uh, yet Saul is right on the edge of trapping him like a hunted animal and killing him. This is the point where many people give up on God. Their faith is being tested in an extreme measure and they want to walk away when doom seems imminent. This is where I would say, don't throw in the towel and quit. Don't do it. God is getting ready to do something absolutely spectacular. Don't quit on God. You say, oh, but doom is imminent. I can't see anything good coming from this. David is trapped. He has no way out. He could have blasphemed the name of God right here, but he didn't. He kept trusting. He kept praying. He kept doing those things that he knew were right. And God is going to come through in a spectacular way. Look at verse 27. But there came a messenger unto Saul. He's got him dead to right. He's about to take him out. Uh, God, uh, there came a messenger unto Saul saying, Haste thee and come. For the Philistines have invaded uh, the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selah Hamahelikoth. And if I mispronounce that, then you're a better Bible scholar than I am. Amen? Um, listen, David was trapped. And right when he's closing in on him and about to kill him, all of a sudden God allows the Philistines to invade in another part of the country and the messenger makes it to Saul right before he gets David and says to Saul, he says, come quickly, there's an invasion, you must come now. We need you to redirect your forces over here. And so Saul leaves. I don't know that Saul knew he was that close to getting David, but God was protecting David. David. Tribulation in David's life brought about patience, and patience brought about in just an incredible experience of how God comes through. How many of you can think of a time in your life where your faith was there, but it was wavering, and you just really weren't sure what God was doing? There was great tribulation in your life, and you look back at it now, and you can see where God's hand was at work the whole time. Can anybody relate tonight? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Where God came through for you in a humongous way. Hey, don't be like the Israelites of the wilderness, right? The Red Sea parts, they walk through the Red Sea, they get just a few miles, kilometers, if you will, down the road, and they say, we don't have any water to drink. Where is our God? Don't be like that. You look back on those experiences and you anticipate what God's going to do for you again. So many Christians are so pessimistic and negative-minded and they carry about them a defeatist attitude. And I say, why? Why? You have a God that saved your soul from the pit of hell. You are on your way to heaven. You are living the, you are called to live a victorious Christian life. Not walk around with your lip dragging through the mud, focusing on the bad in life. You have a God who has promised to deliver you. But we have folks who walk around and the world, their world is constantly coming to an end. And I would say, turn those tribulations into patience. Turn that patience into experience. Turn that experience into hope. And then let that hope allow the love of God to shed abroad in your heart. David's faith, in dramatic fashion, had just become sight. He looks and there goes David, or Saul and his armies fleeing away from him right before they kill him. And David says, wow, when I walked by sight, Ahimelech was killed. When I walked by sight, I ended up trapped in a prison and had to lie my way out by feigning myself mad. When I walked by sight, I ate bread that was ceremonially against the law for me to do. But when I walked by faith, God showed up and did something incredible. David escaped. Number six, lastly notice, the Lord edified. The Lord edified. I love how the Psalms blend together with these stories. Turn over to Psalm 54 in your Bible. Psalm 54. Let's finish out the message there. This is awesome. What I'm about to show you 
is just great. By the way, when you're reading through the book of Psalm, don't skip over the header. Because that header right there at the beginning of the psalm is just as much scripture as verse number 1 is. So look at the header, and it gives us the historical context of when this psalm was written. Look there, the header. It says, To the chief musician on Neganoth, uh, 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 Mashil, a psalm of David. Look here. When the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? So this is right after the Ziphites just about gave up David. All right? David writes this right after Saul and his men leave to go to war and he's saved. All right? Look here. Look at verse 1. It says, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. All right. Here's some more Lejeune theory. All right? I think David began to write this psalm while Saul had him trapped. And I think we're reading this psalm in real time, all right? So verse 1, he's asking God to save him because he is in peril. Look at verse 2. Hear my prayer, O God. What do we know from 1 Samuel 23? He inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He got that ephod out. And he, he prayed and talked to the Lord. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For transgressors are risen up against me. That's the Ziphites. That's Saul. And oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Think on this. Behold, God is mine helper. Look at David's faith. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely, uh, I believe the shift comes in verse 6. God has delivered him. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, by Saul. Go off and fight those Philistines, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. David prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He called on God to rescue him and save him. He walked by faith, and as a result, his faith became sight. We experience, when we walk by human reasoning or when we walk by sight, we walk right into the ditches of life. We experience frustration and failure. I'm speaking from experience tonight because I've done it both ways. But when we learn to walk by faith, God gives us tribulation that leads to patience, that then turns to patience, that then leads to experiences. Those experiences become hope, that uh, becomes faith, which becomes sight. And through that process, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Can I just be real practical with you tonight? All right, let me finish the sermon on a very practical note. How do you walk by faith? Again, I said in the beginning of the sermon, that sounds hyper-spiritual. How do you walk by faith? It's really simple. I'm going to make it really simple for you. Bathe everything in prayer. Bathe everything in prayer. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you listen to, where you work, what you buy, where you go, who you talk to, how you talk to them. Bathe it all in prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Walk by faith. By doing this, what you'll be doing is leaning on the Lord to guide you through both the complicated issues of life and even the simple things of life. You've heard me say it before. You have two ways to get home from work. Pray and ask God, which way would you have me go today? Don't ask Siri, don't ask Alexa, don't ask Google. Ask the Lord. You, you need to get gas on the way home. Don't just stop at the same gas station you stop at every time. There may be another gas station attendant God wants you to bump into. There might be someone on the other side of that other pump God wants you to bump into. To give some hope through a gospel track to tell them how they can know they're going to heaven. Say that thing in prayer. Ask God to guide you through both the complex and the simple. I wonder how many people have prayed, Lord, which way would you have me take home only to avoid an accident? 
I wonder uh, which, how many people would pray, Lord, where would you have me fill up my card only to avoid co- unnecessary confrontation and a problem? I wonder how many people have prayed, Lord, I'm having uh, complications in a relationship and I need to address a tough subject with a loved one. Lord, give me the grace and wisdom and strength and the proper level of firmness to know how to handle that only to avoid, avoid divorce or deeper problems with a child. You see, when we bathe everything in prayer, both the complicated and the simple, the big decisions and the little decisions, we're walking by faith and not by sight. When you walk by faith, God will lead that faith to become sight. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them, that diligently seek Him. Maybe God has put His finger in an area of your heart and life this evening where you're walking by sight and not by faith. Boy, if He is, my prayer is that as I have conveyed God's Word, the Spirit of God will convict your heart. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If we're convicted and we don't make a change, we're resisting the Holy Ghost. We're resisting God. We're saying to God, no, my way trumps your way. You yield to me. I'm not going to yield to you. I sure hope you won't do that tonight. I hope that where the Spirit of God has made it clear to you that you're walking by sight and not by faith, whether it's in just a little area or it's a lifestyle issue, that you'll ask God to help you to begin to walk by faith. Let's be the blind man in Luke. Let's not be Thomas in the book of John. May we call out to God in our spiritual blindness and ask Him to give us faith, to give us sight. Lord, tonight, would You help us? Would You guide us? Guide us into humility. Oftentimes we don't make decisions that we ought to for You because we're too proud to admit our own shortcomings. Oftentimes we don't um, uh, humble our hearts and, and repent of these things because we're just complacent and comfortable with our current state of things. Lord, help us to become people of prayer that walk by faith. Show us, Lord. Help us to yield to You. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.